Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred. Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Friggin' ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Middle Seeds Podcast, the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. I am your life coach for this evening, Andrew Auger. Let's meet our other contestants today here on the Middle Seeds Podcast. He's written 500 self-help books, 300 that use Pokemon as a metaphor for life. Mr. Nate Lungarini. <laughs> more, more than that, there are over 720 Pokemon now. We've got to keep up with the times. We're up to the 800s, but I'm doing well. 700... 720, and I could probably name about five of them. But anyway, he's the bully in every 80s movie that ends up getting his comeuppance at the end. It's Biff McTannon or whatever his name is. I mean, Mr. Jake Hensler. I have nothing to say to you. <laughs> as a bully would. Anyway, the Middle Seas Podcast, as I said, is the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. If you are just joining us for the first time, our show is divided into three segments. Uh, we open the show with a segment called Lobby Talk, where one member of the crew picks out a topic, and we just kind of go back and forth on it, like you would talk in the lobby of your local movie theater. Then we get into our news segment, where we talk about the biggest stories in film, television, and other media of the week. And then we get into our feature review. This week, it is of the adaptation of the New York Times bestseller, Wonder, which came out a couple weeks ago, but we're playing a little bit of catch-up this week, because there were no wide releases this week. And there being no wide releases this week, Jake... Nate and I were able to travel and be in the same room for the first time in a long time, and we got to watch a very special movie. Jake, would you like to tell the people what that special movie was? Oh, I absolutely would, and I, I borderline loved it. It's a little movie that um, you know, captured the hearts of a lot of audiences for one reason or another. It's, it's called The Room. Uh, maybe you heard of it. Maybe you haven't. If you haven't heard of it, you should definitely give it a shot because it is the most unintentionally funny movie you'll ever see. Uh, in more in more understandable terms, it's it's like the granddaddy of so bad it's good. I had a great time. Jake, let's emphasize that the in there. And we are not talking the, about room. The room. We will be talking about room later <laughs> in our freeze frame show, which is will be released later this week. But the room has some relevance because the disaster artist by James Franco is coming out in a couple weeks. So we decided Jake had never seen it, so we popped his room cherry, and now we're all basking in the glory still. <laughs> Right. I'll never I'll never not hear Tommy Wiseau's laugh ever again. <laughs> You're tearing me apart, Lisa. <laughs> but before we get to The Room or The Disaster Artist, or even Wonder for that matter, we've still got two segments of a show to do. It's time for some lobby talk. Let's all go to the lobby. You in the lobby? What do you look like? I will blow up the block before you can make the lobby. All right, guys. So I was... Just thinking about how people confuse the room and room, and one thought led to another, and I arrived at this topic that I think will be really interesting. What movie has had the most misleading marketing campaign that you can think of? Um, so something that in the trailer that totally doesn't show up in the movie, or something that's advertised as something completely different is what it is. What sticks out to you? So my choice for tonight's Lobby Chalk is Godzilla, uh, the most recent version that came out. Uh, and it's misleading for a lot of reasons. Um, it's advertised as this great big monster fight movie, um, which it has, but in much smaller doses than you could see in the trailers. Uh, they go for the Jaws theme that's compared to a lot, where you don't see the monster except for a couple really cool scenes. But otherwise, they focus on the the army characters um, in much more depth. And the other big rug that they pull out for the audience watching the trailer is that they heavily use Brian Cranston's character as one of the central characters of the movie. And then, spoiler alert, they kill him off in the first 15 minutes of the movie, and he's just gone. Um, so that I remember that one really throwing me for a loop when I first saw it in theaters, just because it wasn't what I was expecting. Um, and kind of disappointed me the first time around, just because it wasn't as advertised. 
Yeah, and in that trailer, Brian Cranston looks like he's giving some kind of like Oscar thespian performance in this weird monster movie. And then, yeah, he's just poop. He's gone. And there's not much warning about it. And then you're stuck with Aaron Taylor Johnson and Elizabeth Olsen for the rest of the movie. Which, I mean, there could be worse things than hanging out with Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. But at the same time, it's not the, it is not the movie we were expecting. Good example. Um, my choice, specifically, it's another movie that I enjoy. I like Godzilla a lot. Um, and the movie that I picked for this discussion is Cabin in the Woods, um, which was written and directed by Drew Goddard. Joss Whedon had a big hand in helping produce it. Um, it is one of the best horror comedies I think ever made. It's really clever, really fun, out there, ingenious movie that is very much marketed as a very generic horror movie in its trailers. There's a whole element of this movie that I'm not even going to spoil here because I want you to, you know, visit it yourself if you sound intrigued by what I'm saying here. But there's a whole element of this film that is not even hinted at in any of the trailers. It looks very much like any kind of generic... Uh, Blumhouse horror movie, any generic kind of 1980s slasher flick, um, just happens to star Chris Hemsworth. Um, but yeah, if you just watched the trailer and went in cold stone, not knowing anything beforehand, a lot of audiences came out of that movie pretty mad because they just were not knowing what exactly they were getting themselves in for. It's a matter of studios not knowing how to market a movie that happens to have a balance of weird tones. And Jake, you can you can bring up your pick now because I think that kind of fits in nicely with you you know what you're about to say. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think a lot of horror movies have um, trouble being marketed every now and then, depending on the kind of horror movie. Um, but my pick is not quite a horror movie. Um, it's Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, and I only saw it the first time probably about a year ago. It was I I knew very very little about it other than Johnny Depp is supposed to be very good. It's got a very artistic feel to it, and that it's about this barber who brutally murders people. That's all I knew. So, I watching it for the first time, all of a sudden they break out into song, and I was like, uh, what? This, this is weird. And then it ends, and I was like, alright, you know, whatever. And then another one comes up, I'm like, alright, hold on a second. I literally paused the movie and had to Google Sweeney Todd, because, to see if it was a musical. I had no idea, and sure enough, pops up drama thriller musical and i was like son of a bitch i did not know this movie was a musical i had no idea you got burnt. like totally blindsided <laughs> i had the exact same experience jake i saw it two yeah. years ago for my first time uh just because my cousins and a couple of friends had mentioned it being a good movie and sure enough <laughs> first five minutes of the movie and the song breaks out and i did the exact same thing i paused it went on wikipedia what is this film sure enough it's a musical and so i'll be confused. honest the first time around i I, had, I turned the thing off i wasn't in the mood for a musical um, <laughs> I, I turned it back on a week later once i like got myself acclimated <laughs> to that kind of experience that's funny. and then went and enjoyed it for what it was that's funny um, this is what happens when you guys don't do your homework <laughs> I, I guess I just didn't know the, that it was a musical, but I just watched the trailer about a about a half hour ago to see if I was correct in the in the the marketing aspect that we're talking about. And I I am the trailer I just watched hinted very briefly in the middle of the trailer. Yeah, he like talk rhymes at one point, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He starts to like emphasize his talking a little bit, but they never really show a song. They don't say it's a musical, like like nothing. So. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised. I enjoyed the movie and I think some of the musical numbers are good, but I just didn't know. It's strange because the music overall is really good. It's not something to be ashamed of or anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. there's another aspect to that movie that you didn't even hint at, um, in your point, because you were talking more about the musical side, but that movie's really gory as well. It is very hard R. It, it is rated R though. So I feel like that, yeah. that's a little Yeah, but less. if you're, if, think about the uh, target demographic for Tim Burton movies, it's a lot of teenage girls you know what uh, i mean and if they're going in expecting kind of some kind of like corpse bride lovey style adventure even charlie and the chalk factory yeah and they go in and like, he's just slashing yeah, throats like it's man's a, head is, is it's yeah, literally his job yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i think that's a, that's a nice segue then uh is it overall better for movies to have a very to the point this is what the movie is um because in the case of uh, the Baker Street movie here, I think definitely, yes, you need to know what you're getting into if you're a clueless audience uh, member going to see this in theaters. Um, but in Drew's example, 
I think Cabin in the Woods is so much better if you have no idea what you're That's going true. into. That's a good point. Um, I think it really depends who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for us it doesn't matter. But if you're a general audience member and you want to know the nuts and bolts of what you're putting your $10 down for, then I can see all three of these trailers pissing them off. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I, I agree with that. Because a lot of the time, if if I walk into a movie and the trailer is not what it is not quite what the movie is, I and I'm I'm thrown off. I might need a second viewing to really give myself, or I'd like to properly soak it all in or take it all in or whatever. Because if if I'm expecting one thing and I get another, I might dislike it and I have to give it a second eyes. Um, but that's not always the case. I'd say more often than not it is. But like Sweeney Todd. I was fine. I enjoyed it, no problem. Nate, like Nate said, Cabin in the Woods, fine, no problem. Um, Godzilla, I only saw it the one time, but I was a little, I, I I liked it, but I was a little disappointed that there was a lack of, there seemed to be a lack of Godzilla in the movie. And like Nate said, Cranston's gone within the first act, and I was like, what? This is not quite the movie that I had in mind or I had expected. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it depends. it's just one of those things where <laughs> movie. I don't think this is something that's going to change anytime soon yeah. just because no, yeah. people need to get people in seats so they're obviously going to advertise the crap out of whatever they can sell uh we saw that in mother this year yeah i don't think any of the three of us have a better solution for what these movies did no, i mean maybe sweeney todd put the musical in but the other two i don't i, I wouldn't have I, you know you have to put grants in front and center because breaking bad is a hot commodity yeah and cabin in the woods there is it's a unmarketable movie i think <laughs> yeah kind of um <laughs> I but I think a lot of a lot of semi horror movies get that, and one of them like Nate and Mother is a great example. How the hell do you honestly market that and have audiences see it? It's no. not gonna happen. Yeah, it's not gonna it's not happen. Possible. And then um, I have to bring it up for Andrew's sake. Um, from a bad movie's perspective, Kangaroo Jack is pretty poorly marketed as well because that movie's not. Yes, it is. Movie's not about a talking kangaroo. <laughs> I generally kind of enjoy it. We've had this discussion already. But the movie sells as a talking kangaroo on an adventure that it, the only talking kangaroo part is in a dream. It does not happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, that's false. You could borderline sue. That is not the case. Yeah. It's like <laughs> making a Snoopy movie without the dog. Yeah. <laughs> I'm eight right. years. I, I didn't know it was possible to be eight years old and feel ripped off. I have a box <laughs> of cheese its to my name, and yet I still somehow feel like my money was taken. <laughs> yeah. We just, I had to throw uh, a. a generally a widely a widely considered bad movie in there for for us because generally our movies are well liked with audiences so i had to throw in that one and for andrew because andrew really likes that movie kangaroo jack oh there are (laughs) there are plenty of bad examples that we could go into all day i think a a recent bad one is the fantastic four movie um they made it seem like the kind of this david cronenberg-esque hard grim somber drama and it's just a bunch of bullshit yeah it just sucks (laughs) there's nothing else to it it's just not good (laughs) <laughs> it's a generic generic terrible movie yeah there's there there are a lot of good examples but we 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 really needed to find our our three that stand out yeah and for me personally we picked three movies that i really like um nate i'll let you have the last word on the topic if you got anything else yeah i i just think it's interesting is all and if anything it just makes for more cynical audiences um when we get something that we don't expect especially in the age where trailers are the biggest thing on youtube yeah for an entire week um right. everyone gets hyped about movies now uh so when something totally uh blindfolds you in a way that is not fun <laughs> uh that's why the movie doesn't do as well as it does <laughs> and it makes for a great talking point like we are here and that's mm-hmm. a beautiful segue here into our news segment and this just in, a Newsbreak special report. This is I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. So guys, the big news story of the week, and we would be remiss if we didn't start with anything else. The trailer, the first one, the teaser for Avengers Infinity War. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. Evacuate the city and get this man a shield. Fun isn't something one considers when balancing the universe, but this (laughs) does put a smile on my face. 
it's not worth beating around the bush here. Avengers Infinity Ward is directed by the Russo brothers. It stars about half of Hollywood, including 32 heroes in one scene, reportedly. That's a rumor, but does this trailer give a little bit of credibility to that? Um, it's due out on May 4th. We will be talking about it probably a lot more before May 4th, including right now. Nate Lungarini, what did you think of the trailer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> This this is a trailer. <laughs> this is this is fun. Marvel has really knocked it out of the park in terms of building this universe in a believable, coherent way, where literally every single shot in this trailer is something that a fan can get excited of because we've had a whole movie behind every single frame here, um, and I can't wait. Um, I've been, I've been kind of like the Debbie Downer of superhero movies for a couple shows now. Um, but this should loan my credibility a little bit back toward the, to the Marvel fanboy side. This looks so much fun. In the, in the, in the words of Captain America, Chris Evans himself, holy moly, this trailer looks awesome. It just start to finish just every, like Nate, Nate's right. Every scene in the trailer looks like, holy hell, this looks awesome. And I've, I'm trying to, we talked about this as well. I'm trying to avoid watching trailers too many times. So I don't, I don't start thinking too much. I don't spoil anything for myself somehow. I just, I don't want to do it. I'd like to have an idea of what I'm getting into and then leave it. I don't want to go into it too much, but I've watched this trailer five or six times already. It just, it's such a great trailer. It just gets you so pumped from start to finish. They started off well by the assembling the team uh, sentence, and then they, they finish it with that epic, epic shot of Captain America and Black Panther running into war. It's just, oh, awesome. Guys, is there room on the hype train for one more? Because, Jesus, yeah, give it a, Jesus give it a shot. This, this thing gave me chills, man. It just feels so satisfying. Like, correct, correct me if you think this is a bit of an overstatement, but for our generation— is this Avengers franchise our Star Wars? I mean, besides actual Star Wars, but in the same way that like <laughs> fervish anticipation for every movie and this big culmination coming up. Yeah. Oh man, this thing, like Nate put it perfectly, they have been setting this up and it makes every single sh- shot in this satisfying. Things that would be mundane in other trailers, just one character looking at another, becomes so much more exciting because you realize that these are characters that we've seen go on separate paths converging into this one big all-out war. And, I mean, this is a very early, early look, but from what we've got here, it really looks like that Thanos is going to be some kind of force to be reckoned with. As of right now, the way he just knocks Iron Man out with one punch... (laughs) That's my favorite shot of the whole trailer. Yeah, yeah, me too. Hands down. Puts his ass to sleep. (laughs) The thing that makes me so excited for this is that it's not just fan service. Like, other trailers or movies, franchises, uh, will have, like, a random shot to a superhero a fan might recognize and say, oh, wow, Deathstroke's in this movie, or whatever it ends up being, whatever time and place it is. But this is more than fan service. It's payoff for a franchise that's done so incredibly Mm -hmm. well. And that's just why it matters so much more. Right. (laughs) Um, This this is going to be the one of the biggest movies of our generation and when this when this whole phase 3 thing culminates in uh Avengers 4 that's going to be nuts. <laughs> I hope this movie lives up to the hype and keeps building the hype for the next 3 movies of this franchise. Yeah, I mean I the expectations are going to be through the roof. It's going to make a stupid amount of money. Um I'm <laughs> I'm so so excited to well, once see Black Panther so I can officially know all all the heroes well. Like, we've seen him, but we we haven't seen his, like, world. So I'm excited to see that so I can officially get everything in my head. Um, Especially since it seems Wakanda is playing a huge role in this. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's another part yeah. of this that I was going to go into. There's there's a lot of questions that are kind of unanswered, and there's all kinds of speculation th- being thrown around just between us three, let alone the internet. But um, I'm trying to avoid a lot of it, but there are just so many things. Like, who, who first of all, who are they fighting in Wakanda? Just for starters, they're like there's so much. They look like multi-armed xenomorphs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who knows what it is? Crossover but... with the alien franchise. <laughs> yeah, my my only if we're gonna if we're gonna go slightly negative, my only concern is that they 
they get Thanos right. I really, really hope because Thanos is like the big bad. I hope they get him right. Yeah, that's that's my biggest concern as well, Jake, just because we had this with Ultron. In Age of Ultron, we had a really cool menacing trailer for what seemed to be a cool menacing villain. And he ended up being kind of silly and um, kind of easy to beat at the end of the day. Um, I don't think they'll do that mistake with Thanos because um, it's not just Whedon writing it anymore. This is it's it's written by the full Marvel staff this time around. Uh, so this is definitely going to be the culmination movie um, on that front. And now we just got to see if it pulls it off. Right. And th- there's so many different elements to get into about it. Um, we didn't even mention that. Uh, there's the tease of the Guardians of the Galaxy crossover um, at the very end of the trailer because it just feels like it, we're exhausted by the end of it because of how excited we are. It's it's almost exhausting to get even more excited about another element. Um, <laughs> this this thing has been dissected to death across the internet. You've probably watched it three or four times, listening viewer, because you're not stupid. You're excited too. Um, if you want to get really excited, Vedra's Infinity War trailer probably will be playing in front of Star Wars The Last Jedi is my guess. Yeah, it's um, a good guess. We'll get back to Star Wars in a bit, but I think this is more important, this story here. Breaking into the Middle Seats newsroom at this hour, um, we reported in the last few weeks that um, Quentin Tarantino's Hollywood Charles Manson movies, it's going to be coming out in August 2019. He's courting some big actors for it. That will be his ninth film. Um, There are some rumors, some very strange but fascinating rumors of what potentially could be his tenth film. Um, The Hollywood Reporter and Deadline are reporting that Quentin Tarantino went to J.J. Abrams, and he has a killer idea, apparently, for a Star Trek movie. Now, what that idea is, we don't really have any context to at this point, but all we know is that Abrams and Tarantino are teaming up to gather a writer's room together to develop this idea forward. And if this idea picks up any traction, there is a chance that down the road, Quentin Tarantino could direct a Star Trek film. Now, that's hard to process personally in my mind because of some of the directors that we've had for Star Trek in the past, because of the tone of Star Trek, of course. Um, there's nowhere in Star Trek that anybody could say the N-word, um, <laughs> like Quentin Tarantino so loves to write. <laughs> but, guys, just help me wrap my brain around this. Jake, therapeutically take me through this. <laughs> uh, well, a, cu- a couple thoughts. If he if he's just going to help help write it, cool. That That sounds really cool. I would love to see him help write one, him and J.J. Abrams collaborate on a Star Trek movie, that sounds awesome. But him directing one, I'd like to see if he wasn't saying he's going to retire after 10. I don't want his final film ever to be something unoriginal or something sci-fi-y like Star Trek. I If it's going to be 10, like if he's going to cap it at 10, I want his 10th to be something purely from the Tarantino mind. I don't want to see him tackle something else. If he's going to go for 14, 15, 20 films, sure, do Star Trek. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see him do anything. But if he's only going to do one more, I want to see what else his brain has. Something purely original. I'm going to echo those thoughts, Jake. Um, again, for for viewers who might not be aware, Tarantino has said many times that he's only going to ever make 10 movies. So the Charles Manson uh, movie coming out will be ninth for sure. Uh, and 10th is up in the air. And we actually just had this conversation off off screen a couple days ago uh, where we all are in agreement that his 10th movie, whatever it's going to be, is going to be a big bank. A Star Trek movie, um, while exciting, <laughs> doesn't seem like a career send-off to me, especially because Star Trek is a franchise that's going to want to make sequels. So Tarantino is going to start a sequel and then never make a movie again? It seems very, very off for me. Um, and just so out of character. Yeah, that's it's almost a little startling. Yeah, like Star Trek is known for how politically neutral it all is, especially in terms of um, PC culture and all that. And Tarantino is everything but. So I don't know. Yeah, it's it's very it's a very strange concept. Um I think we're all we're all going to feel a little gypped as much discussion as we've had about this topic if Tarantino doesn't stop at 10 because we've made we've made a big hubbub about this just throughout the last couple of years that we're expecting this 10th film to be a big bang but what if he changes his mind and said oh I'm not going to do that for 10 films anymore I'm going to feel a little gypped personally because that is like 2 years worth of debate 
gone from my life. <laughs> anyway, this concept is it's a very strange idea. Um, but Quentin Tarantino has earned the right for me to, you know, he, he can do whatever he wants and I'm going to be interested. Um, so if he has a killer idea for Star Trek, by all means, I want him to want him to pursue it. However, I do think there's pretty much zero chance that he ends up being the one directing the film. Um, I saw a tweet online that kind of illustrated what I think this film is going to end up being, which is it's going to be like a 2021 release. It's going to have a story by Quentin Tarantino credit, and it's going to be directed by some kind of workman-like director like Justin Lin was for Star Trek Beyond, or Wes Ball is for the, twi- um, I was about to say Twilight, the Maze Runner. They all they all blend together. Um <laughs> Or David Yates is for Harry Potter. It's gonna be it's gonna be a studio guy. Um, Tarantino is not a studio guy because he's just not gonna be able to work in that mold. That's just not how he works. He has to control every single element of his production. Um, yeah, definitely. That part of it wouldn't be a good blending. Now behind the scenes, if he can censor himself a little bit, go to church a couple times, will be good because he knows how to write story in as inventively and as twistedly as anyone else. I think he's one of the best writers, like like screenwriters. I think he's. He's one of the best. At least he's one of my favorites. He's just so unique, is what it is. He's so he's so interesting. I love his. I love all of his movies. A Star Trek movie? Hell yeah, I'm gonna see it. But I wouldn't. I would be a little like, what? That's how you're gonna leave cinema? Really? Okay. If you. I mean, you must have something brilliant up your sleeve. But, but yeah, I kind of agree with Andrew. I'm hoping. I would love to see his name on it, just not director. So if he writes it. And someone with a who has a great vision for his writing picks it up. Awesome, that's great. I bet you his cameo would be killer. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty. That would be pretty funny. He's gonna be a red shirt, probably killer, literally. <laughs> Some kind of. He loves killing himself off in his movies. Yeah, he he has done that a few times. Um, so I think we're all intrigued, per se, but cautiously optimistic if anything per usual yeah <laughs> yeah you, as usual there, this is years away um here's something we're a little bit less cautiously excited about which is star wars the last jedi guys as of this recording we are under two weeks away from star wars the last jedi um the last time i looked at tracking numbers this movie is open opening is expected to be above not only above 200 million but in the 220 230 range which of course is a monster Jesus. monster opening but you know it costs a lot of money and marketing a movie of that size also costs a lot of money. So it should be no surprise that Evil Empire Disney you basically just put the Darth Vader helmet on that mouse right now. And they can pull stuff like they are right now with their uh, opening and rollout of Star Wars The Last Jedi. Now this came down about a month ago. Um, it's a bit of old news, but it's relevant now because the movie is coming up. Um, and so many theaters are preparing for its huge, huge launch. A lot of the theaters across the country were forced by Disney to play ball on very secretive terms and very manhandling terms if they wanted to show their movie, which, I mean, you have to. Unless you're like a little Mom, Pop, and Joe stand that shows three movies and two of them are Casablanca every week, you have to show Star Wars if you're going to make any money during the holiday season. And Disney's taking advantage of that desperateness by asking for 65% of the film's gross at each theater. Now, the standard rate is much, much below that. The studio typically takes around 55 to 50% of those rates. Some of the other rumors that we're hearing is Disney is requiring any studio that takes The Last Jedi has to commit to four weeks, an entire month, it has to play in its biggest auditorium as far as seating capacity goes. Four weeks. That's Insanity. Think about all the big movies that are coming up after that over Christmas. Jumanji, Greatest Showman, uh, The Post. Pitch Perfect. Pitch Perfect, Ferdinand. All of these different movies, they cannot move into that biggest auditorium, even if Star Wars The Last Jedi takes a 70% drop on its third weekend. Um, They cannot pull a single screening from their schedule without asking Disney first. So if they want to take away a 7 o'clock show in, in the smallest theater to, hey, let me give Coco another showing. They can't – well, I mean, Coco might be a bad example because Disney also makes money off that. Anyway, Justice League. If Justice League wanted another showing, can't pull it without permission. Sucks. And if the theaters don't comply to this rule and Disney finds out, they're taking an extra 5%. So that brings the total of what they take to 70%. 70. 
That's insanity. Um, so I guess my question is, what are the ethical boundaries of all this? Is Disney allowed to do this? From what I've read, the the scummiest part about all this is that the uh, the requirements for this contract have no exceptions for different types of movie theaters. Because you'll have like the big theaters, like a Regal or an AMC, that has 10, 12, 15 different theaters, uh, so they'll be able to show many movies at the same time. So they're going to be showing Star Wars for three months anyway, and they don't care. But it's the smaller theaters that have maybe six auditoriums, or even smaller than that, like one or two, and you have to dedicate Star Wars to that to show Star Wars. And honestly, it's just not fair. There's there's no way that Star Wars can sustain that kind of audience in a small theater. If it's a small mom-and-pop theater that only has two two auditoriums, you're going to have a audience come in, watch it once, maybe twice, maybe three times over the course of two weeks, and then it's and then it's done. Nobody needs to see Star Wars again. So having to keep it around for that third or fourth week is going to kill these small theaters, and Disney is making no exceptions, which is scummy. Really, really scummy. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that too. Like for, even though, even even the rules in general are a little like tyrannical per se, but like I kind of get it if they did it for like Nate said, two weeks, because two weeks, it's going to make, it's going to make like a billion dollars in two weeks. I say, I was kind of thinking about this for smaller theaters, so not a big one, like a, like not a multiplex, not an AMC, not a Regal, whatever, smaller theaters, maybe let them, maybe have them do it for two. If those are your guidelines, maybe let them do it for two weeks. And then week three and four, let them show other things to, you know, help them stay afloat and stuff. Because if, if these, like Nate said, if there's a theater that has six theaters, they're only showing like three movies for that week. Right. Like they're going to be screwed. And you think about the big audiences that go to those smaller theaters. And it's a lot of the senior crowd, at least in my experience. And yeah, they want to see the indie stuff. Um, and yeah. You're, yeah, you're taking away a potential indie population. Nate, you were right on the money with that one. Um, yeah, I, again, I echo all the sentiments that have been said so far. It's, it's, it's bad for the business, I think, for Disney to have this big of a stronghold. Uh, it's good creatively, because we can trust them not to screw up the properties. However, this is as close to a monopoly as we've had since the studio system back in the 1930s and the 1940s. They're just pulling in profits left and right, and they are finding every way to milk each cent of money that it's worth. Um, and you can't. I guess you can't fault a business for doing that. But at the same time, movie theaters are a business as well, and they are your main partner. And I don't think it's good business to suck them dry like this. And they're already dying. Why are you hurting them even more? <laughs> right. To to quote an analogy from another Disney movie, this is like the grasshoppers and the ants relationship in A Bug's Life. Huh. Like the movie theaters reap the sow and get everything ready, and the movies just come in and they demolish it and they take all the food. Now, obviously, you reverse that metaphor because the, the theaters are taking all the money from the food. But you know what I mean. Yeah, I got you. You know what I'm saying. Um, yeah, it's a stronghold, and it's a viceroy grip, kind of like the Darth Vader chokehold on these theaters. And if they don't let up soon, it could have costly ramifications as we go forward between hostility and theaters and studios. I wonder why the, the sudden change or the sudden like spike in, in rules and stuff – because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this relatively new to suddenly – change and milk every every dime and nickel that they can get is like i didn't hear about this for uh the force awakens this is relatively new right it's it's very star wars specific is what it is um it's it's mm -hmm. taking advantage of that I, th I would say even more than the marvel crowd the star wars crowds are the ones that go back and see movies over and over again just because they wanted their fix of star wars it's a drug for a lot of people mm -hmm. Um, and it's Disney yeah. exploiting <laughs> the sale of that drug wholesale. Yeah. I had a, this guy I know, he's my dad's friend. Um, you know, back when Force Awakens came out, he, I forget what it was, but he said he had, he literally hadn't been to a movie theater in years, like years on years. Force Awakens came out and he's like, well, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to break my dry spell and I'll see a, a small 10 a.m. showing of Force Awakens and then that'll be it until the next Star Wars comes out. And I was like... One, that's interesting that there's nothing that catches your eye with Star Wars. But two, those are like, they attract almost every single, almost everyone in America. There's like a couple exceptions for a couple yeah. people. It, it, it's a movement. It's one of those films that 
almost everyone's going to see once. Yeah. And if they don't see it, it's like a protest not right. see it. I'm not going to be another sheep and see Star right. Wars. Good for you. Um, yeah, you're missing out. How was it? I tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just a, it's just a, kind of sad to see that Disney is taking that fun mentality of everyone going out and having this experience and saying, okay, theaters, you guys are going to go under my boot for this time right. around because I'm going to milk and it. Here's, yeah. And here's the thing. We're this... a bunch of bitches because we're about to go see that movie. In a week and a well, half, we ain't, we ain't boycotting anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for now, the mouse has got control. But one day, the rebellion shall rise yeah. against the empire. Hopefully, but we got a couple of week. <laughs> we got a couple of weeks until that. Um, that'll do it for our news segment this week. Let's get into our feature review of Wonder. My name is Augie Pullman. Next week, I start fifth grade. I've had twenty-seven surgeries. They told me to breathe, to see. To hear without a hearing aid, but none of them have made me look ordinary. Dear God, please make them be nice to him. Look at his face. I've never seen anything that ugly in my life. If I looked like him, I'd swear. I'd put a hood over my face. You are not ugly, Augie. You just have to say that because you're my mom. Because I'm your mom, it counts the most. Because I know you the most. You're the toughest kid in that school. Show them. You can't blend in when you were born to stand out. You never thought about having plastic surgery? Dude, this is after plastic surgery. It takes a lot of work to look this good. That was a snippet of the trailer of Wonder, which was directed by Steven Chbosky. He was the writer and director of 2012's Perks of Being a Wallflower, also that novel, which is an excellent, excellent coming-of-age drama that I highly recommend if anybody has never seen it. Um, In the same year that Perks of Being a Wallflower came to theaters, Wonder was a 2012 New York Times bestseller. Um, and it now has been adapted to film. Jacob Tremblay, the young boy, so brilliant in Room, not The Room, Room, plays Augie Pullman, who was born with a very rare facial deformity. Let me see if I can get this right. Mandibulofacial dysetosis. Nope, not even close. But it's it's a diagnosis that kind of makes him, it, it deforms him, basically. 27 surgeries later, Augie's face is a little bit messed up, um, he still has the spirit and enthusiasm any fifth grader. The film chronicles a year in the life of Augie and the people close to him. His parents, played by Owen Wilson and Julia Roberts. His high school-age sister, Via, plays by Isabella Vitovic. His first friend that he makes at school, Jack Will, played by Noah Jupe. And Via's former best friend, Miranda, played by Danielle Rose Russell. So guys, this is kind of a take-your-mother-to-it movie, take-your-grandmother-to-it movie. It's a family mm-hmm. film for the holiday season. Um, audiences have been adoring it. It's been a big box office hit so far. Um, it has an A-plus cinema score, which is pretty rare. Um, it's just one of those movies that is going for feel-good. The question is, does it succeed? Nate Lungarini, what did you think of Wonder? Yeah, um, this this actually took the nudge of you guys to get me to see it. Um, I, I'm just not normally about these feel-good kind of movies. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised of how um, unique a take it had on it. One of the things that the film does really well, I think, is that we not only see it from Augie, the the young child's focus, but we get these little short chapters um, seeing how his condition and his life affects all these other people and their own takes on this relationship. And I think it's a nice little clever take on it that really adds a lot of emotional depth to it. So that way it has not just the heart of a good feel-good movie, um, but has a lot of realism too. Yeah, um, I, I I definitely echo that. I, like Andrew said, I, dip, I did in fact take my mom to see it and she adored it. She, It's like top 10 all oh, time for her. I'm she... absolutely shocked. <laughs> <laughs> it, my mom, my mom literally... When the credits roll, she turned to me and goes, so this doesn't happen to me often, but about three quarters of the way through the movie, I literally thought to myself, I love this movie. And I was like, okay, not surprised, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> oh, I love Mrs. Hensler. She's the best. <laughs> <laughs> she absolutely loved this movie. Um, so, you know, Andrew's absolutely right. It is a take your mom to it movie. If you're a mom, take your 10 year old to it. Like it's a very, very warm hearted, feel good family movie. Um, Take your girlfriend if you want her to stop complaining about something. Right. Just make her cry. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, 
Yeah, it's but it but it is. It's a it's a little bit more fresh. It's a little bit more interesting. A little bit more relatable and realistic take on these these you know bullying slash feel good family trouble type movies. You know, coming of age kind of stuff. Like it's a bit more fresh than the average one. Um, you get perspectives of obviously the main character Jacob Trombley, um, but you get his sister and you get some of their friends and you just you get a lot of perspectives. So you know everybody can relate to something it's filled with a lot of like you know messages of acceptance and um you know understanding and non-judgment and anti-bully um and just you know all in all feel good borderline saccharine sweet some would say but um yeah but it'd be overall solid i would certainly say more than borderline um yeah it's but that's saccharine. not always a bad thing <laughs> but this is how you do feel good movies well um yes, a lot exactly. of feel good movies they have the tendency to go way overboard. They crank that shit up to 11, and then they crank the cheesiness up to like 19. Um, and it's too much. It's just, you want to vomit by the end of it, because it's just way too much. This movie is, it's, it's schmaltzy, of course. It is. 100%. Um, but, the movie, it, it is very genuine, um, and it has just a very excellent and simple message for kids and adults. Be kind. That's all this movie's about. Be a good person. Um, and to be fucking honest, we all need that right now. Everybody needs that. Yeah. This is a movie that comes, it's almost comically timely because you, you, I got out of this movie and then I saw three tweets from a certain person who runs this country and I'm like, (laughs) I I think there needs to be a White House screening. Um, Fox and Friends needs to show this. Yeah, for real. In between the breaks, just in different segments. Um, Nate, you're absolutely right. Shifting perspectives was the best move that this movie could have made. It makes this a bigger story, and it shows how this disability affects everyone. Um, And that's not what a lot of movies do in this situation, usually. Um, Every character gets a chance to be human, even the ones that typically wouldn't be in a lesser movie. Um, Even a lot of the bully characters, they get their chance. You see where they've come from. The movie is very patient and does that, and I, I appreciated that. Is it over the top? Of course, especially towards the end. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that later, I think. Yeah, but again, that's not always necessarily a bad thing. And this all rests on the shoulders of the actors and of the surprisingly smart and fun script. Uh, Tremblay is really charismatic. Um, he shows that again here behind 30 tons of makeup. Great makeup, by the way. Um, Julia Roberts and Owen Wilson, they show a lot of restraint. They stay in supporting roles. They don't try to steal the show, which is something I was really worried about, especially with Julia Roberts, um, because Mm -hmm. she's the kind of take over the show a lot of the times, but they do a really good job as the supporting characters. And yeah, across the board, all the kids are really good. This it's just a good movie. You know what I mean? It's not a spectacular movie, but it hits that sweet spot that it's going for very well. Yeah. On that note, um, Julia Roberts is great, and she wasn't not going to be. She's a great actress in her own right. Um, I was I was very happy with Owen Wilson. There, there's a certain uh, group of people that think this, that he's not a good actor. I'm not really part of that. Um, but I was almost missing him toward the end of the movie. I'm like, I wanted more Owen Wilson. He nailed his role as like the quirky, fun dad. Um, and I think he was in it, um, taking a step back for just the right amount of time, mm-hmm. um, because he is supportive when he needs to be, but he has these really genuine human moments when he thinks his son isn't watching that really hits you emotionally. Um, and it's great. Um, I think my surprise standout, uh, from both a character perspective and from an actress perspective was the character of Via, uh, the sister in the story. I thought she was really, really good and it had such a compelling take on this whole type of story um, because her character feels like she has to be strong because her brother is going through so much right now. But at the same time, she has to deal with the fact that she kind of isn't the favorite child and that she's second, um, second fiddle to a lot in her family's life. And coming to terms with that, and growing as a character throughout this movie is really satisfying to watch. And I really, really liked her uh, role. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say, I was not expecting that at all. But when they give her perspective and show her side, even though it's very clear, generally speaking, that Trombley's character has a harder life. He's just, from the outside, he is just this 
he's going to have so much trouble making any kind of friends. Not getting bullied is going to be an impossible task. Like he's he's going to have it rough. And it's blatantly obvious from the beginning. Um, so generally, yeah, the, the, he has a harder life. But it doesn't mean that she doesn't have any problems of her own. And she feels like she's got to subdue them because of his. And it's it's really an interesting but but accurate take on that that character. And I really enjoyed them going in that direction. And, you know, they did it with a couple more characters, but I really, really, you know, enjoyed that they went there with her. It wasn't just his story. Right. Yeah, but something that I'm finding from this director, especially, is that he is really good with child and teenage actors. He coaxes very human, very real performances out of them. He was able to get career-changing performances out of Logan Lerman, Emma Watson, and Ezra mm-hmm. Miller in The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Um, and obviously Jacob Tremblay was already on a good track, but they, these these other kids like Isabella Vitovich who plays Via or Noah Jupe who plays Jack Will, his best friend who is, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a kid um, that messes up, he makes mistakes, but he is good at heart. Um, and that comes through really well, really impressively out of this young kid. Um, Tremblay, of course, is great, but these other kids, you can see their talent shine through. And that take, it's a really hard thing to do as a director. Like, that's extremely difficult. Think about how many bad performances we've gotten out of kids in the past. Mm-hmm. Nate, I'm certainly not on the anti-Owen Wilson train, but there are times where I get frustrated with him because I feel like he's not actually trying. Yeah. When he links up with Vince Vaughn and it's not Wedding Crashers, I'm kind of <laughs> like, can we move this shit along, please? Um, <laughs> here, here he's doing really good work. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm very much on board with that. Um, so I think... Anything else that we have to say, we can probably wait till spoilers for. Um, not that there is a lot to spoil with this one. But some of the issues I have would be in spoiler. Yeah. Jake, what would you give Wonder? Let me give. Let me run down the seat scale, um, as we do in every show. If you're just joining us for the first time, we rate movies based on what we call the seat scale. Um, if it's a movie is amazing, almost has no flaws at all, we give it a royal throne. If it's a movie that's really, really good, not quite at the top level, we give it a plush recliner. If it's a movie with flaws... Um, but has more good than bad, we give it a wooden seat. If it's the reverse of that, where it has a lot of flaws, but have a couple of good things, we give it a damp lawn chair. And if it's a movie with almost no redeeming qualities at all, we give it a sleazy outhouse. So with that said, Jake, what would you give Wonder? Um, I'm teetering. I've been, and I've been, I just saw it last night, but I'm teetering back and forth. It's like very, very, very bottom plush recliner or very, very, very top wooden seat. I'm really in that, I'm having trouble deciding whether whether or not I'm on one side or the other. Because, like, it is – I'm going to talk myself through it here live. Because, um, <laughs> like, it, it, is a, it is a good movie. Um, and it, I wouldn't say it has a lot of flaws per se. It's just not – it's not blowing me away personally. So, I'm like, I don't know where it falls. But generally speaking, you're right. It doesn't have a lot of flaws. It's a crowd pleaser and it's genuine. So, I'm going to just slightly teeter on plush recliner, but barely. Barely plush recliner. Interesting. Yeah, Nate, do you mind? Nate, do you mind if I go next? Because yeah, go for it. Um, Jake, I had that exact conversation with myself, but like off camera <laughs> or off recording. <laughs> I had the exact same conversation with myself, and here's what I came to. Um, I went to the movies. I got my popcorn. I got my drink. I had a chance to sit in a plush recliner. But y- you know, I've learned a lot from this movie. So I've learned to be kind, and I'm giving an older woman my plush recliner, and I'm taking a very comfortable but warm wooden seat. That's where I'm going to go. Um, <laughs> oh, see, okay. see wow. I had time to talk. I had time to talk myself through it. And clearly I'm a better person than you is what we're saying from this. Um, listen, this is a really good, really nice, warm movie um, that just never blows your socks off. Um, it's it's one that I absolutely recommend that everybody, every family go out and see. Um, but you don't necessarily need to go to the theater for it. Um It'll have a lot of staying power, and you'll be hearing about it for months to come because it'll be that movie a lot of people are talking about. Um, it is officially qualifying itself as the sleeper hit of this holiday season, um, so you certainly won't be able to avoid it from there. But yeah, it, the schmaltz is a little too much too t- um, sometimes. It's a little cheesy. Um, some of the conflicts are a little bit manufactured in ways that are like, okay, this is only something that a movie would happen. Right. But then in other times, it's, it's a very real – there are very real conflicts that this movie approaches. Um, that I really wasn't expecting at all. And I really think Steven Chopsky is a big part of that. Um, I think he does a really good job here, again, adapting what seems like a really tough story to tell. 
So yeah, I'm not going to quite go with the plush recliner, um, but I don't fully disendorse your pick. Thank you. Uh, because I'm going with a very, very high wooden seat. <laughs> <laughs> I've been kind of the person of this group to kind of define the rating and make sure I stick to a hard rating as much as possible, especially with Jake with all his adjectives for plush recliner. <laughs> um, but I think I think all three of us now have the exact same opinion where this is in between two different ratings. Um, and yeah. I'm also going to kind of go halfsies on this one. <laughs> and I'm going to give it a wooden seat with a plush cushion on it. <laughs> it's very, very, very hey, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me wrong. This, this is, this is a nice, really nice movie. Um, and it has all the best intentions of all these feel good types of movies. Um, if this movie continued its trend with seeing different chapters of its life, I probably would have gone plush recliner, but it kind of gives up that take on the film about halfway through the movie. And once you hit that halfway point and a lot of the original conflicts of Augie moving into school have been solved, the movie goes kind of into generic feel good movie time. And it's That's actually, yeah, that's an excellent point. The movie kind of runs out of plot. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, I love what this movie does with some of its earlier stuff, especially stuff in the lunchroom. Which, for someone who doesn't have friends, even someone who doesn't have this kind of condition, um, that is one of the most stressful parts about going to school. And this movie nails it in the first half of this movie really, really well. And I loved it up to that point where the plot kind of solves itself, manufactures the generic stuff, and finishes the movie on like this big, uplifting tone that this movie definitely needed but it wasn't original once it got to that point. So that's why it leans more on the wooden seat end rather than the plush recliner end for me. Um, but that said, I heartily recommend this to basically anyone who's in the mood to see it. Um, maybe not in theaters, uh, but definitely, definitely a really fun movie. Um, so that'll do it for our generic review, our general thoughts on wonder. We're going to get more into our detailed spoiler section, even though, like I said, there's not much to spoil. I'm not spoiling any big, like, Oh guys, did you see like those those big uh, action scenes in Wonder? Uh, you know that was, that was that was crazy. Um, no, we're gonna be spoiling more specific plot details of a movie that is pretty predictable overall. Um, if you have not seen Wonder and don't want that predictability spoiled for you, if you want to go in with the guys that you don't know what's gonna happen, um, tune out now. If you don't really give a shit and you are or you've already seen Wonder, follow us here into our spoiler section. Whoa. Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert! So guys, I think the sub-message of this movie um, is that, one, the first message is, of course, be kind. But I think the sub-message is that bad actions have consequences. Um, and this movie somehow made me feel pretty bad for the bully character by the end, um, which is something I really wasn't expecting. Um, You're talking about Julian, the rich guy? Yes. Um, because of the scene with his parents gives you a lot of context to where this kid's perspective comes from. He doesn't get his own section, um, which I think, Nate, Nate, you saying that the movie kind of stops doing that about halfway through because a lot of the stories converge of the people that they were doing that for. Mm -hmm. um, it would have been nice to have his own section to see kind of where he comes from and what his background is about. Um, but even so, like I said, this movie is sympathetic to pretty much everyone. Um, yeah. and it just kind of contributes to the warm overall feeling. Yeah. I definitely want to elaborate on the Julian character because I think that's probably the biggest turning point in the movie because he is probably the most realistic child bully that I've seen on film because he acts just teasing, um, getting other kids to, joke about Augie and it's very realistic and does a great job of showing what a modern bully is and then for the movie to throw that all away at the camp scene at the end where there's an actual physical bully meeting him in the woods yeah with like a switchblade or whatever he had <laughs> yeah I five o'clock shadow <laughs> I hated that part that's that's where the movie fully dipped down for me in terms of rating just because that 
isn't exciting. We don't need to see that Augie's not only really funny and kind, but also good in a fight. That's not important to his character. (laughs) (laughs) He's Um, got a mean right hook. (laughs) So, um, I would have loved to see more of Julian. Um, and not only just his upbringing, but more of how he bullied Augie, like, elaborated more on that. And I would also love to see another character who watches that, but then never acts on being Augie's friend. Um, because I think that's a kind of character that almost everybody watching this movie can relate to. Because nobody likes to take action. And it would have been kind of nice to see, um, how that character thinks in this movie. And maybe call out some people for not being nice, but also not taking a side to someone like this in school. That, that's an interesting way to look at it. I would look at it more as this movie's like one big long parable. Um, this movie is about what you should be doing. Because, yeah, you're absolutely right. There are a lot of people that would turn the other cheek. Um, but, you know, a lot of even Julian's friends by the end of it are good friends with Augie as well. Um, and... It's, it's less about what's real. I mean, the movie's really realistic in other aspects, but in more morality-wise, it's less about realism and more about specifically what you should do in that situation. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Jake, what do you think? Um, I was going to say, as far as the Julian character goes, um, he's, also, he's also written pretty well with the fact that he's super polite in front of adults, and then with just kids around, he's an ass. Cause my God, do I did I know a thousand kids like that? Mm-hmm. Um, so I I enjoyed that, but there were there were a couple times when I was like, not that he was over the top, but there were a couple, there might have been a couple small things where I was like, eh. But generally, yeah, he's a, he's a pretty decent eleven year old or yeah. however old he is, bully. Yeah, well, but by the time we get to death threats, I think that might have been a little over the top. Yeah, um, I agree with the the fight. That was unnecessary. If you wanted a physicality for the mainstream audience, fine. But it, we didn't need, you know, a rumble. My my bigger my big issue. They did not need to kill the dog. It was plain and simply to pull your heartstrings, and I hate when they do that. It was just simply because it's a sad life, and they needed another conflict for the family to be sad about and get over and pull your heartstrings and remembrance and yada yada. And it was just like you didn't. It didn't have to happen. I. I agree, Jake, that it is definitely kind of an emotionally manipulative scene because nothing gets an audience more sad than a yeah. dog dying. That said, it gave me my favorite scene with Owen Wilson, though. Right. Him at the table crying at the end. I agree. That was a gut punch. And that was that was really, really good because he was strong in front of his family. And then as soon as his family went to sleep, shields down and he was a real person. And I thought that was brilliant. I totally agree with that. But I, I think they could have... They could have used it for something else. Like if like if Augie had a, a a horrendous day or, you know, after he found out about Will and he lost his friend. So Owen Wilson not thinking he's ready for school. Augie doing okay, losing his friend, and then, you know, maybe he had another really bad day on top of it. Maybe that breaks Owen Wilson. The dog dying is just, audience, get ready to cry. Whoop, reel him in. Like, mm. in principle, I don't have a problem with a dog dying. More, My problem more is when it's malicious and... Like, you know, it's mean-spirited. Um, here, it's not mean-spirited. It's, it's, it is it's it is it is manipulative. I don't disagree with that at all. But in principle, I don't have the problem with it as much. Yeah, it's another way to kind of tug at the heartstrings, for sure. Um, yeah, I don't, I, and I just don't like when they do that. It certainly wasn't anything that bothered me in the moment. Um, whereas if, like, a dog's purpose is built around the fact that we're finding different ways to kill dogs left and right. <sighs> don't get me started. Um... <laughs> But yes, I, I see what you're saying, but I don't necessarily agree with that point. Like for me, I am I am Legend is was one of the most justified dog deaths right. ever. Um, it just it didn't need to happen here. It was just for me. It's a, it's a bit of a lazy way to get emotion out of audiences. You heard it here first, folk. Back to back double feature with Wonder and I Am Legend, endorsed by Jake Hensler. <laughs> oh man! Um, so I was <laughs> yeah, I was annoyed by that. Where but. I think the emotional manipulation went too much was the end where the movie literally gives itself a standing ovation yeah (laughs) like come on i honestly i thought they were going to give that award to jack will um for being kind to him and showing kindness in the face of adversity um i i obviously i like augie but is he that exceptional that he deserves an award Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day all of five characters are involved with augie in some capacity (laughs) 
and the whole school mm-hmm. suddenly loves him. Yeah, it it was it was it was a big crescendo that wasn't really earned. <laughs> no, for, yeah. For me, I was I was kind of okay with that because a lot of it because of seeing what his his family went through. So like him starting school was such a such a question mark, and then seeing him just conquer all of it and full and fulfill it. To like to the best of his ability and seeing how happy everyone was for him, I was like, okay, I can I can deal with this. Like Julia Rob, like his mom Julie Roberts, she, I think her reactions in that scene were great, and I think the build up to it, even though it's it's very very uh, you know saccharine as they say, I think it was it was okay, and it was you know an ending for most audiences, a good ending for most audiences, like us us who like to pick apart things are gonna eh, at it, but. It was just cliche, I think, is the part that annoyed me the most. Because the movie had so much going for it at the beginning. The different chapters. Um, I loved the little glimpses into Augie's imagination with Star Wars characters. Um, I thought that was a cool, creative thing. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. I forgot about that, yeah. Yeah, no, that was that was good too. I like that. And then the movie just U-turns and goes into generic territory. And it could have been so much better. It's just disappointing. Right. In that in that graduation scene, I, I just kept thinking of that scene from The Incredibles where he's like, it is not a graduation. He's moving from the fourth grade to the fifth grade. And the mom's like, it's a ceremony. <laughs> it's psychotic. They keep Oh that's yeah. a very underrated scene from the from a masterpiece <laughs> of a movie. Uh, but I couldn't not think of that for, during that scene. Um some some good character supporting work. Uh Mandy Patinkin as the principal. All I've seen him in before is really intense stuff. Um I hear how intense he is on Homeland. Um, he's just such a warm, nice guy here. I really enjoyed him as the principal. All the teacher characters are pretty fun. Yeah. David Diggs as the main teacher, um, I really enjoyed. I think he has a big career going forward in Hollywood. For those for the two of you who probably don't know where he's from, he is one of the main stars of – he was one of the main original stars of Hamilton on Broadway. Mm-hmm. I um, thought he looked actually, familiar. Nate, you've probably heard 300,000 times. <laughs> but <laughs> but yes, he he does very good work here too. Um, everybody's pretty good in the movie. Um but I think this is a good time to wrap it up. We've talked about this movie more than I expected us even to. Um, Nate, any other things you want to bring to the table before you get to final thoughts? I'm ready for final thoughts. Um, yeah, so I think Wonder is definitely definitely worth um, the trip to the movies for those that want to see it. Um, definitely does everything that it needs to do right and even excels in certain areas, especially in the first half of the movie. I would have loved for it to continue that momentum um, through the first two acts and finishing up the third. Um, But unfortunately, it it opts to be a little bit more safe when it could have been a really, really unique movie. Um, That said, definitely would recommend. Your mom's going to love it. Um, The whole family can enjoy it. A surprising number of kids were in my theater. So it's nice to see that the message is reaching its intended audience. Oh, yeah. My audience was atrocious, though. I saw it opening weekend, and it was absolutely packed. And this was a cliched audience. Ugh. Very much on their phone. Kids running up and down the aisles. <laughs> madness and hysteria. Ugh. I don't think that'll be a problem for anybody else going forward to see this movie, but that was just my experience. I need to vent for a second. Anyway, go ahead, Nate. Sorry. No, that, that was really it. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Jake. Um, yeah, I mean, we're all, we're all very, very much in agreement. I was teetering on wooden seat slash plush recliner, and... I lean plush recliner mainly because it's not – it doesn't have a lot of – it's not great, but it doesn't have a lot of flaws. It doesn't have a lot of flaws, excuse me. And at the end of the day, its message is good. It's better than your typical uh, family, you know, coming of age, overcoming bullying movie. And it's it's harmless. It's not – it doesn't do anything that's that's going to, you know, negatively impact anybody. Like if you come out hating this movie, you're probably just – a, a, like a, a, I don't even know what the word is. You're just ne- soulless president of the United States, <laughs> <laughs> right? You could you could be that, um, but like you just it's just a really nice feel good movie that you, exactly my mom absolutely adored it. Whoever's listening to this, your mom's probably gonna like it. Your girlfriend's probably gonna like it. Anybody who's relatively younger in the late elementary early middle school phase probably gonna like it as well. It's just it's a well, well, don't be sexist, Jake. There are plenty of men who will enjoy this plenty. movie. It's, I just don't think that's the target audience. <laughs> he, he doesn't have all day to list every single Democrat. <laughs> I'm, I'm going with the frontrunners first. <laughs> Nate gets a personal foul for that. 
Yeah, it's just it's a it's a general feel good movie that most people are go- are going to enjoy to some extent. It's it's worth seeing if not in theaters at some point. Right. This movie captures really well what it means to be a kid, too. Um, and, Jake, you're absolutely right that the kids are really going to enjoy it because there's all this talk. I'm, I'm out of the Minecraft loop, loop, but that seems to be a big th- thing now these days. It's huge. I mean, just the thrill of putting together a science fair project. Um, I love that they make Augie really smart at science, too. That was a nice touch. Um, just yeah, his love of Star Wars, love of all things, and just kind of getting across that message that no matter our facial differences or anything like that, no matter our ethnicities or our background differences— Kids are still kids at heart. Um, they're going to be mean, but they're also going to get along well with each other. Um, and like I said, the movie's really sympathetic. It's warm. It's a really nice, cozy watch. Um, and that's all it really was aspiring to be, I think. Um, so it really hits that mark well when a lot of other movies completely miss the target on that. So anyway, that'll do it for our review of Wonder. But before we go, Nate Lungarini, where can the audience find us on the internet this week? Alrighty, so here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, both at The Middle Seats. And our email for any questions, comments, or suggestions are at themiddleseatshow at gmail.com. Anything you can do to help the channel grow is greatly appreciated. Be sure to check out our spinoff show, Freeze Frame, where we go back in time, typically, and review some piece of movie or TV show that was from the past, maybe less immediately than some of the other stuff we talk on the main show. Last week, we rode our magic carpets with Aladdin in honor of Coco. This week, we're going to go back in time to the start of Jacob Tremblay's career with Room. Next week on the main show, we're not really sure what we're going to be reviewing yet. It's, again, another limbo week. Um, where the only wide release we have is that terrible-looking Morgan Freeman, Tommy Lee Jones movie just getting started. It might be Disaster Artist, it might be Lady Bird, it might be Three Billboards. We don't know yet. Be sure to check out our Facebook page or our YouTube page for any updates. That'll do it for this week's episode of The Middle Seats. For Nate Lungarini and for Jake Hensler, I'm Andrew Oje. Keep that seat warm, everybody. We'll be back soon.